Hebrews chapter three, if you'd like to stand for just a moment, feel free. If you want to remain seated, that's fine. Hebrews chapter three, beginning with verse one. Hebrews chapter three and verse one. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, I have this word underlined. Consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful. Who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Thank you, you can be seated. I want to call your attention to just two or three things that, that is very evident from this passage of scripture. And I think it will lead up to what I want to try to point our focus on tonight from the word of God. We find out, first of all, the consideration of this particular text. Verse one says, consider, consider who? The apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. You see this entire book, the book of Hebrews, the easy way to remember this, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews. That's simple enough, isn't it? But not just any group of Hebrews, it was the Hebrews that had lived their whole life generation after generation had taught their young about the sacrificial system that God had instituted from his word that he had given to Moses as a true pattern and perfect pattern from the heavenly pattern of them to come and bring their offerings for the forgiveness of not only themselves but of their nation as well. So Hebrews is dealing with these people that for a lifetime they would take their lambs and turtle doves and heifers and they would offer them up to the Lord in sacrifice for their sin, in sacrifice for their transgressions. But now the perfect sacrifice has come. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And these Hebrews believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, suddenly they're in a place they've never been before. They had just practiced religion, but now they have an eternal sacrifice. Now wait a minute. If you were used to going every year, there were three times a year that God required the men to come before him and they had to make their pilgrimage into the temple area. Three times a year minimum, it was required of them. Now suddenly, instead of going once a year on the day of atonement, they've come in touch with the Savior that is the eternal sacrifice that they'll never have to go back again. Once he did the work, it was once and for all. It was not something to ever be repeated again. Jesus died, was crucified, and his blood was sufficient to cleanse of sin. So now they are wanting to return back to that way of sacrifice again. 
That's why you get confusing passages in Hebrews, like in chapter six, where he said that, that if someone was to sin, after that they're partakers of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said there remaineth no more sacrifice for their sin. Someone said, well, that means uh, that if you sin after you profess Christ, therefore you're then lost. That's not what that means at all. Well, how do you know that? How many of you are going to heaven? I'm glad 10 of you are. How many of you are going to heaven? That means you've been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you on your way to heaven have sinned since you've been saved? Well, how can that be? He didn't say that there wasn't salvation. He said there's no more sacrifice. You can't go back to the old way of offering up turtle doves and offering up lambs and goats and heifers and bullocks. Why? Because Jesus' blood was the last blood that God would ever require for the forgiveness of sin. So in essence, this whole book is about him being better. I've just come back to this area. I love this area. My grandfather, he retired out of the mines, lived down in Clothier, West Virginia. He and my dear grandmother, and we spent a lot of time in, in, as a child growing up down in the mountains here. And never did I dream that I'd get to preach all through these mountains. And you know something I found out? Mountains divide people. There's some people that's just over one mountain, but they won't come to this meeting. It's time we get together, folks. And it's time we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And this whole book is about how that he is better. I've traveled this world over and I want to tell you something. He's not only better, he's the best. You'll find nothing better than Jesus. He's better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the law. He's better than a lamb. He's better than eternal dove. He's better than religion. He is better than all the prophets. He is better. Better. That's what he's trying to tell them here. You can't find anyone better than him. And in this he says, Look at the fact that we need to consider him. I'm always safe when I talk about him. We only get ourselves in trouble when we talk about us. But if we consider Jesus, we're always on solid ground. And we're in a safe preaching and teaching territory. The consideration. And then he comes along and gives the contrast or comparison. He says, let me tell you how much better he is. So he went to someone they all knew about and loved, Moses. Moses, the giver of the law. God gave the law. Moses was the prophet to bring the law, the leader of the land, the prophet that was revered by the Jewish people. And they revered him so much and looked up to him. The prophet that never got to enter into the promised land. But God had a private funeral ceremony for him. And there somewhere in that valley of Moab, after he took him up to Mount Nebo and let him look into the promised land, God said, it's time for you to come home, Moses. 
Moses. God took out his golden shovel, digged the grave, and told the angels, keep guard against the devil. No man shall know where his body had. Is that but me alone? And God there said, you can't see it right now. Just see it. You can't go in it. Isn't that something? 40 years. And it looked like he wouldn't possess what he had seen. There's several lessons to that. I don't have time to give it, but one real quick. What's that tell you? Moses' vision was farther than his days of life. He could see farther than he could go. We all ought to die passing a vision on to these young people. I was so thrilled to see these young men and young women here. I just pray while you had a vision to see this happen. I pray these young people have a vision to fill up the Civic Center at Charleston, West Virginia in their day and that God will raise them up as mighty warriors in this generation. He saw further than he got to go, but he did make it to the promised land. There on the Mount of Transfiguration, guess who shows up? His feet was there. Praise God. Don't get me started on that. I gotta preach. There's the, there's the contrast, the comparison. First the consideration, then the contrast and comparison. And he said, then the conclusion. When you put them together, he said every time you look at them, you compare Jesus to Moses, the one they revered. And you know what he decided? He said he's better. It was counted to him more worthy. Every time you compare man to Jesus, man always comes up short. The best of men and best of women cannot compare to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He said, you know Moses was faithful as a servant in this text. He said, but Jesus was faithful as the only begotten son of God in this text. Moses was the intercessor between God and Israel, but Jesus, our high priest, is the intercessor between us and the heavenly father. That means that he is the one that is there when we cry out to the Lord and say, forgive us of our sin. It's not because of who we are or what we've done. It's because of Jesus and he says, Father, forgive them. I died for this one that they might be saved. And because of that, it was counted to him that he was more worthy of glory. More worthy of glory. The glory's in here, but the glory's in here because he's worthy of it. Why was it counted to him more glory? He told us why. Who was faithful? More glory because he is faithful. If you just give me about 10 more minutes, maybe 15. But uh, when, you, when you come to faithfulness, the faithfulness of the Lord, and really that's what I'm preaching on. He is faithful. He is faithful. What do you say when the enemy comes calling? He is faithful. What do you say when disease comes? He is faithful. What do you say when death comes into your home? He is faithful. Faithful in all things. 
I'm glad that his faithfulness doesn't depend on me. He is not faithful because of what I say. He is not faithful because of what I do. He is not faithful because of who I am. He is faithful because of what he says. He is faithful because of what he can do. He is faithful because of who he is. Second Timothy chapter two and verse 13. Catch this phrase. It's a short phrase, but a lot of depth in it. He said, if we believe not, yet he is faithful. Did you get that? Doesn't matter if you believe him or don't believe him, he's still faithful. Doesn't matter if you make sense out of it or don't make sense out of it, he's still faithful. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, the Lord is faithful. So with that in mind, if you just allow me just, just a few minutes, I really don't intend to keep you long, but I'm subject to change. I jotted down a few things as to why I consider from the word of God that he is faithful. And you tell me what you think when we look at this. First of all, through his life, all through his life, he was faithful. Faithful in his birth, faithful in his boyhood, faithful in his baptism, faithful to his believers, faithful in his blood offering, faithful in his bodily resurrection. He was faithful as a son, as a servant, as a sower of the seed, as a sacrifice, and as the shepherd. He was faithful as a preacher, as a prophet, faithful as a priest, faithful as a physician. He was faithful as a carpenter. He was faithful as a church attender. He was faithful as a taxpayer, faithful as a teacher. He is a faithful friend that sticks closer than any brother. He was faithful as a leader. He was faithful by the River Jordan. He was faithful out in the wilderness. He was faithful on the sea. He was faithful out in the desert. He was faithful up on the mountain. He was faithful down in the valley. He was faithful in the garden. He was faithful on the cross. He was faithful in the tomb. He was faithful as he was leaving and ascending in the clouds and he'll be faithful to come again. They stood there that day and they heard the words, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus you see taken from you shall come again in like manner. Why? He is faithful. Oh, glory to God. He was faithful to the sick, faithful to the suffering, faithful to the struggling, faithful to the sinner, Faithful to the helpless, faithful to the hopeless, faithful to the homeless, faithful to the heathen, faithful to the hungry, faithful to the hurting. He was faithful to the crying. He was faithful to the crippled. He was faithful to the poor, faithful to the needy, faithful to the wretched, faithful to the unwanted. He was faithful to the blind, the broken, the begging and the bleeding. He was faithful to the filthy, faithful to the fallen, faithful to 
the fainting and faithful to the forgotten. He was faithful to the young and faithful to the old. Faithful to the good and faithful to the bad. Faithful to the guilty and faithful to the innocent. Faithful to the great and faithful to the small. Faithful to the depressed. Faithful to the distressed. Faithful to the diseased. Faithful to the dying. Faithful to the defiled. He was faithful to love them, faithful to preach to them, faithful to care for them, faithful to teach them, faithful to instruct them, faithful to save them, faithful to provide for them, faithful to die for them. He was faithful when he was misquoted. He was faithful when he was misunderstood. He was faithful when he was misrepresented. And he was faithful when he was misused. He was faithful though he was hated. He was faithful though he was despised. He was faithful though he was rejected. He was faithful though he was beaten. He was faithful though he was persecuted. He was faithful though they spat upon him. He was faithful though they stripped him of his clothes. He was faithful when they nailed him to the cross. He was faithful in all things. How long has he been faithful? He was faithful before the foundations of the world. He was faithful in creation. How long will he be faithful? He'll be faithful through the ages. He'll be faithful through the world. He'll be faithful through the universe. He'll be faithful through the heavens and all of the glories. His faithfulness goes beyond our logic. His faithfulness goes beyond our thinking and our ability. He was more faithful than Abraham, more faithful than Isaac, more faithful than Jacob, more faithful than Moses, more faithful than Aaron, and he's more faithful than any one of us. Thank God, he is faithful. His faithfulness is greater than our trials, our troubles, our tears, our temptations, our testings. His faithfulness is greater than our faults, our failures, our fears, our footsteps. His faithfulness is greater than our problems, our pain and our persecution. His faithfulness is greater than our doubts and disappointments and discouragement. His faithfulness is greater than our heartaches and our headaches. Christ was faithful in the beginning. He'll be faithful in the end. He was faithful in the past. He is faithful in the present. He'll be faithful in the future. I like what the old preacher used to say. I can almost see him with his eyes closed in the pulpit. He said he was faithful when he turned the lights on this universe and he'll be faithful when he turns them off. Thank God he is faithful. Why is he faithful? He's faithful because he's the word of God. He's faithful because he's the life of God. He's faithful because he's the breath of God. He is the image of God, the fullness of God, the only begotten Son of God, the plan of God, the light of God, the way to God, the fountain of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is so faithful that we don't have anything that can compare to him. He is faithful, more faithful than what we think of as the most faithful. 
I'm trying to wrap it down, but I got to tell you this. Go back in your mind to when you were in the first grade and second grade. In the first grade, when I was growing up, all these young people, let me give you a laugh tonight. They didn't have smart boards and they didn't have Chromebooks, iPads, phones. We had chalkboards and erasers. If you got in trouble, had to dust the erasers and wash the chalkboard. And the teacher, when I was in the first grade, spent their entire time. I don't remember hardly anything out of the first grade, but I'll guarantee you, every one of you that were in the first grade, first thing that they taught you, they wanted to teach you something that was faithful. So they taught you first. First, before you read a book, before you did anything else. You couldn't do that without learning this. They taught you the alphabet. Capital, small. They taught you the alphabet, 26 letters. Isn't that something? All these years later, I still remember the alphabet. 26 letters in the alphabet. Now you think about this. 26 letters in the alphabet. I could take you tonight on travels across this country. I've been out of the country probably 65 times now, preaching the gospel over the years, taking trips to Israel and different places. I've been in some of the greatest libraries in all of the world. I could take you across this nation. There's thousands, if not in the millions of libraries and they are loaded with thousands of books. I've always loved books, and I'm not saying this bragging. I know that I'm well over 10,000 books in my library now. I've always loved books. Lord, help my wife if I go first. She's got to take care of all of that. I'm hoping there'll be some preachers left that still want to read something. Boy, it got quiet there. And... The amazing thing is, out of those millions and millions of books, Isaiah, all of those didn't need one letter more or one letter less. 26 letters make up every one of them. You can't have a sentence without a letter and you can't make a sentence without the alphabet. Your punctuation may not be right, but you have to have the letters to make the alphabet. And you found out that everything that you ever say in life, if you ever say anything, it takes the alphabet. I challenge you, say something without the alphabet that makes sense. You can't do it. I stand there and preach tonight, I take those same 26 letters, every sentence is comprised of those letters. But do you know something? He's greater than the alphabet. Because while I can't say anything without the alphabet, I can do absolutely nothing and say nothing and couldn't even know what the alphabet was if it wasn't for him. The Bible says he is the faithful witness. I can't speak a word without him. I can't do a thing without him. He is more faithful than your alphabet. Can I have five more minutes? Five more minutes. I know I don't want to ruin it for 
the next service. It'd be easy to preach all night here. I think I'll preach the whole Bible to you tonight. Second grade, they concentrated on arithmetic. Teacher took that chalk, went up on the board. One plus one equals two plus two equals you got it. And kept going. You know something? After all these years, one plus one still equals two plus two still equals you getting it? Do you know that he is better than our arithmetic? Now you can count on that. It's sure that arithmetic, but he's better than that. Why? Well, think about this. With arithmetic, you can always keep adding to it. One plus one equals two, but then you can put two plus three equals five, and you can keep adding and adding and adding, but I can say this to you. You can't add anything to him. You can subtract numbers one from the other, but you can't take anything away from Jesus. I don't care how hard they try, you can't take it away from Jesus. And you know something else? By the time I started into the third grade, they started into division. And my, they would divide certain numbers. And boy, when you take certain numbers, you know, odd numbers, even numbers, and when you would divide one into the other, you wouldn't get a whole number. You'd always get a fraction. And that was difficult to deal with in my mind, those fractions. But when I talk about Jesus, anytime you divide him, he always comes up whole. When you multiply him, you get more than you do any other way. You cannot figure the math. I can't figure it out how he can take somebody whose heart is blackened in sin, take the precious blood of our Savior and wash us clean by the power of the blood. He is faithful. Faithful when I can, faithful when I can't. Faithful when I will, faithful when I won't. Faithful when I'm up, faithful when I'm down. Faithful when I'm right, faithful when I'm wrong. He's faithful when I'm blessed and he's faithful when I'm broke. He's faithful when I'm happy, he's faithful when I'm sad. He's faithful when I'm faithful and he's faithful when I'm not faithful. He was faithful before time, after time, all the time, on time, at the same time, every time. He was faithful in his promises, faithful to his people, faithful for his pleasure, faithful by his power, faithful through his plan. His word is faithful to help us. His way is faithful to lead us. His will is faithful to satisfy us. His worship is faithful to refresh us. Salvation is faithful to keep us. Spirit is faithful to teach us. His saints are faithful to encourage us. I'm telling you this, there has never been a second, there's never been a minute, there has never been an hour, there has never been a day, there has never been a week, there has never been a month, there has never been a year, there has never been a decade, there has never been a century, there has never been a millennial that he has not been faithful. 
He is faithful. And because of his faithfulness, you think about what we have. Because of his faithful faithfulness, we are redeemed, justified, sanctified, made righteous, made holy, made rich, adopted, forgiven, favored, found, free. Because of his faithfulness, we're cleansed, changed, covered, comforted. Because of his faithfulness, we're grafted, we're guiltless, we're godly. Because of his faithfulness, we're bought and we're blessed. Because of his faithfulness, we're restored, reassured, and resurrected. Because of his faithfulness, we're transformed and triumphant. Because of his faithfulness, we have new life, abundant life, eternal life. We have access. We have an advocate. We have peace, light, (coughs) love, and liberty. Because of his faithfulness, we have fellowship, faith. We have a family. We have a father, and we have a future. Because of his faithfulness, we have a shelter in the time of storm. We have safety and strength. We have hope and help and healing. We have heaven at the end of the journey. We have joy and we have victory. We have mercy, truth, and grace. I'm telling you, it's his faithfulness. I close with this. God, who is faithful, requires faithfulness. God requires of stewards. First Corinthians 4, 4 2, you know what it says. He says that we are to be faithful. It may be required, but faithfulness is rewarded. I want to hear the words, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over many. Please hear me what I'm saying before I give you an invitation. Everyone in here will not be a preacher. Everyone in here will not be a deacon. Everyone in here will not be a teacher. Everyone in here will not be an elder. Everyone in here will not be gifted with the talent of singing. Everyone in here will not have the ability to be a trustee or any other job you want to name in our churches but there's something that every one of us can be. Faithful. Faithful. Can I tell you, I'm in my 47th year of ministry and I make you this promise. Out of all the other things I've learned since I've been saved, the thing that I love the most is I can stand here and tell you He's faithful. We had a dear mother about a month ago visit our service with her daughter. We had just seen the daughter saved and baptized. And the mother had a lot of problems. This world's got a lot of problems. You're not alone in that if you're lost. She had a lot of problems. She came to church And her daughter didn't think she'd ever get her to church. She came to church. It was Sunday night. I walked in the sanctuary. She was at the front and I I saw her daughter and I went over to them. And I gave her daughter a hug. Gave the little kids a hug. 
And I reached out my hand to her and she pulled her hand back. She shied away. And I said, well, it's good to have you tonight. She said, you don't even know me. I said, oh, but I do. I know you. Not in a personal way, but I've been praying for you because your daughter loves you. And your daughter has just wanted one thing more than anything else for you to come to church. I said, we love you, and I am so happy that you're here tonight. And I want you to know, these folks care about you. I started to walk away, and my hearing's not as good as it used to be, but I heard her say to her daughter, did he mean that? Yes, Mom, he meant it. He really cares. We got into one of those services that I mean the glory came. And when the glory came, she didn't even know what to do. (laughs) Remember now, she's not been in church. But suddenly I see her make her way to the altar. Several others were already on the altar and they were praying with others that were there to be saved. And I came down out of the pulpit and went down in front of her, her daughter and those little grandkids gathered around her. And I told her how much Jesus loved her and told her from the word of God how he, he is faithful. He'll forgive you of your sin. She looked at me and she said, you don't know what I've done. He couldn't forgive me. I looked at her and I said, now listen, I've been nice up to this point. But now we're going to get serious. He has to forgive you. I'm sorry if I offended you because some of you listened to some person that wasn't in touch with the book tell you 30 years ago that God won't save you and you've been weeping for 30 years wanting to do something that he promised he would do. You say, now wait a minute, there's an unpardonable sin. You can blaspheme the Holy Ghost. I have found out most people don't know enough about the Holy Ghost to blaspheme him. I'm not being a smart aleck, I'm being sincere. They don't know anything about the Spirit of God. And she said, what do you mean he has to? And I told her, if we confess our sin, he is, he is, and just to forgive us of our sin. I said, he promised he would. She said, how do I do it? I said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In your own words, tell him you're sorry. Tell him you want to change life and you want your sins forgiven. She kept saying, he can't, he can't. And all of a sudden I heard her say, oh God, help me, God, save me, God, forgive me. And all of a sudden everything changed. She looked at me and said, why, he did it. Turned to her daughter and said, he did it. I'm here to tell you there is not a devil from hell 
power that can stop you from being saved tonight. If you come to Jesus Christ, he'll do it. He'll save you from your sins.